and welcome to Dispel Magic, the podcast where we overthink how the magic of D&D might shape your campaign in surprising and unexpected ways. I'm Benjamin, game designer and writer. Find me on Twitter at Sterling Vermin and the internet at large at sterlingvermin.com. And my name's Dane. I'm a dungeon master, podcaster, and voice actor, and I'm online. <laughs> That's right. You guessed it. At Dane in Danger. Electrifying episode? Uh, pretty shocking, yeah. Yeah. Oh, boy. <laughs> Is that it? Did we run out of... I think that was all yeah, of them. I don't think we have any more for the whole episode. We're doing Call Lightning. Call Lightning. Call Lightning. Hello? Lightning. Get it? Right, yeah. You're picking up the telly and... It's funny that uh, you should say telly or telephone. Who knows what Call Lightning could bring about right. in the world? Yeah, Lightning Telephones. Why don't you... Tell us a little bit about this spell. Call Lightning is a third-level conjuration spell available to druids. It takes an action to cast, has a range of 120 feet, and a duration of concentration, up to 10 minutes. The spell text says, A storm cloud appears in the shape of a cylinder that is 10 feet tall with a 60-foot radius centered on the point you can see 100 feet directly above you. The spell fails if you can't see a point in the air where the storm cloud could appear. For example, if you're in a room that can't accommodate the cloud. When you cast the spell, choose a point you can see within range. A bolt of lightning flashes down from the cloud to that point. Each creature within five feet of that point must make a dexterity saving throw. A creature takes three d10 lightning damage on a failed save or half as much damage on a successful one. On each of your turns until the spell ends, you can use your action to call down lightning in this way again, targeting the same point or a different one. If you are outdoors in stormy conditions, when you cast the spell, the spell gives you control over the existing storm instead of creating a new one. Under such conditions, the spell's damage increases by 1d10. You're going to want to wait for a storm to cast this spell. You're going to want to wait for a storm. Actually, 1d10 is not that much extra, so I mean, it, it would be nice, but it's certainly not, I don't think, At least for to, battle. to plan around. Yeah. So, you know, the expected use is that you, you hit hurt, an hurt enemy them. with lightning, yeah. and then you keep hurting them for 10 minutes. Bug every, zapper. Every six seconds for 10 minutes. It's a great spell in battle. Like It's pretty bad. Really? Actually, yeah. That's, it's very low damage for being a third level spell, and it requires a combat to last like five or six rounds mm. for you to get the return on your spell slot investment. Sure. I this was used against me in a siege of a of a building where okay. waves of zombies were coming at. In that context. Oh man. Yeah. Tore me up. Yeah. Me as the DM got torn up. Yeah. So my my experience of D D combat is that it's usually over by round three. Mm -hmm. Like it's often set. Like, the winner is often clear by round two, mm -hmm. but then like everything's cleared up by round three. In that case, the spell is pretty bad. Um, but in any case where this where the combat's going to last like five rounds or more, then it starts you know coming back in terms of your relative value. It lasts quite a while. It lasts a very long time. This is a very long damage-dealing spell for, for what it is. And it feels powerful. I mean, being able yeah. to summon a storm and cast lightning where you wish. Yeah. That's sick as hell. It It is. Yeah. I think the technical term is sick as hell. I think if you went to a doctor, that's what they'd say. This storm. Uh, judging by your chart. Dane, I'm sorry to tell you, but this, this storm you summoned is sick as hell. 
Oh no! <laughs> but let's let's talk about some of those unexpected outcomes. Some of those gray areas. Hmm. The dispel magic specialty. So there's a lot of like combat adjacent stuff here. Um, and, and partly it relies on the fact that this lasts for 10 minutes and you get to use it so many times. Like we'll get into this more later, but every round is six seconds and there are 60 seconds in a minute. So you got oh, yeah. 10, 10 rounds in a minute. Whoa. Times 10 minutes. You've got a hundred. So you can make lightning a hundred times with this spell. That's intense. That's a lot of lightning. So the first thing I thought of is that if you were to have some kind of fight happening on open water or like on a beach, there's a couple cool things you could do. One is that if your enemy is in the water itself, not like it's ship, but like the enemies themselves are in the water, mm -hmm. striking the water with lightning bolts should diffuse the electricity. So it becomes more of an AOE thing in that situation. The second much, much, much cooler thing is that if you've got ships beaching to attack you, you can just spend this full 10 minutes before those ships arrive blasting the beach so that all that sand turns into, I don't know if I'm pronouncing this right, fulgurites, which is also I've called- never heard that before. Yeah. It's, it's also called petrified lightning. You should look it up. Uh, the images of it are pretty cool. It's, it's essentially glass. It's called petrified lightning because it's lightning bolt shaped, oh, but it's all glass. Yeah. So it kind of looks like a tree also. But if you can do, you know, you can create a hundred of these on the beach before the <laughs> ships land. And then all you got to do is like hurl rocks onto the beach. And then there's shattered glass everywhere that your enemy has to walk over to get to wherever your city or your army is at. Pretty inconvenient for them. Yeah. Not a great start to the fight. <laughs> right? That would be terrible. It's true. I think if I had to walk, a, I, I, I would, I'm not inclined to get in a fight in real life anyway. But if I had to walk across a beach full of broken glass to get to that fight. Mm -hmm. your, your spirit's knocked out yeah, of you. I think, I, I think probably I'm just going to give up. Right. So besides. Beach fights. Beach fights. The classic beach fight yeah. trope yeah. of Dungeons and Dragons. Uh, you can also use this spell to destroy things. Anything you want. Uh, terrain forests, what have you. With a hundred lightning strikes, you can cause a large enough forest fire to clear that away. You don't have the forest anymore. <laughs> no more forest. <laughs> no more forest. It's a instant anti-forest. The forest deletion spell. That's right. Small village, not anymore. Now it's a scorched pile of... Husk of village. A rubble, right. I would say. Yeah. Smoking rubble. A um, hundred light <laughs> lightning strikes. Yeah, a hundred lightning strikes ought to do it, I would think. It sounds like a recipe. This is a like a hundred clove chicken, but hundred lightning strikes. Also, sounds like a band name to me. Oh, that's a great band name. Yeah, hundred so, lightning strikes. It, yeah, so it's I, it's it's really destructive on its own. If you knew a, you were going to get attacked somewhere, put anything flammable or combustible around to just be shooting with that. I mean. We've t I think we've mentioned Alchemist Fire on the show before, but if not Alchemist Fire, it's in your player's handbook. If you just have that laying around and you're shattering it with huge lightning bolts, that will cause a pretty huge problem. 
you know, for people trying to get to it's you. A pretty big problem. Yeah. yeah. First um, the first the beach glass and now this. Yeah, I think, you know, people are warming to the idea or at least you know, there's some significant number of people who like to play with black powder weapons in their games, mm-hmm. gun for some variation of guns. You could do the same thing with that, just kind of put it all over the floor wherever you're going to have this fight, call lightning and chaos, I guess, ensues. A real complicated fight for yeah, the DM. I'm honestly at the not very sure. Least. Yeah, I don't know what I would do if just a room full of gunpowder went off at oh, one geez. time because of a lightning bolt. Too much. Also, that reminds me then of all the way back in Magic Mouth, we talked about this idea of a bang bag, a bag of ball bearings where you cast Magic Mouth on each ball bearing and say, bang! Bang bag of ball bearings. Yeah, so that when you... So that when you throw it out on the floor, it's just screaming bang everywhere and it's extremely disorienting. Well, I would think a lightning bolt every six seconds, in addition to all the visual stimulation that you're going to get, that's a lot of thunder and in a pretty small place. I wonder why this doesn't do thunder damage as well because of that. Sound damage is a thing in Dungeons and Dragons and it might make this spell worth casting more than yeah or even if you didn't want to get into like a thunder damage thing i think a deafened condition like a a saving throw versus a deafened Mm -hmm. condition would make sense uh Uh, it knock people prone uh if you're getting hit by it i mean if you're electrocuted you're not going to stand on your feet yeah that it would be very good if it knocked prone if on a successful or a failed save it also knocked prone then i would say this is a spell worth it no matter how long combat lasts there you go so we, we saved the spell. We fixed the spell. We, sp- we fixed the spell. You're welcome. That was me dusting my hands for the listeners at home. Job well done. A few other strange things you can do with a spell. Magnets. How do they work? Nobody really knows. Yeah. But get yourself a big bottle of Fago and give it a try because magnets are here to stay, folks. Yeah, you get yourself some metal, and you hit it with lightning, and sometimes that makes magnets. Sometimes. And... Also, electromagnets are a thing. You, you, the wire around, the, there's a wrap, 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 yeah. around. I mean, that's a, that requires some knowledge. That's so true. like it's at least <laughs> that's at least a couple steps more advanced. Like, But if you have metal, sometimes hitting it with lightning is going to produce true. Uh, a magnet. So this is actually something I think could very easily be accidentally discovered, especially if you're even just fighting enemies wearing metal armor and using metal weapons. You might be at the end of the fight after you've burnt them to a crisp with lightning. You might go over and be like, hey, what the what? heck is this These happening? Are sticking together. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> this armor. I so can't. I think Ugh. that's interesting because when you can reliably create something like magnets. Changes the game. Yeah. You're going to, there's a lot more opportunity for people to explore and discover around the kind of potential uses of magnets and... Magnets, the chocolate chip cookies of spell effects. I have no earthly idea the what silly that could putty. even mean. The silly putty of... Both of those things were discovered by accident. Okay. Well, what else can lightning do, Dane? Well, you know, you looked this up and you told me about it. It's nitrates. It's what plants crave. Yeah. Bef- so to do the show, one of the things I... Google searched was just 
does lightning make? And then I just didn't fill out the end, and I just saw whatever Google like auto filled in. Yeah. And one of them was plants grow. And um, actually, I do remember this from uh, an episode of another podcast I was listening to where they talked about this idea. But when lightning strikes, it releases nitrates or into the atmosphere, which settles into the ground. And that, I guess, speeds up growth or it provides nutrients for, for yeah. plants. Plants absorb the nitrates in the sto- soil and, and grow better because of them. There is a part of the spell that I found pretty interesting, and it's the line, if you're outdoors in stormy conditions when you cast the spell, the spell gives you control over the existing storm instead of creating a new one. Pretty nebulous language here about what constitutes controlling a storm. Mm -hmm. But if you're able to control a whole storm, that's pretty world-changing in and of itself. Yeah, this one, I have to give full due credit to Dane. Oh, thank you. Um... Because this, when I had not thought of this when I was preparing for the for the episode, but Dane pointed this out, and it kind of reminds me of Arcane Lock mm-hmm. in that it's a section that I feel like is not explained very well. Like, I don't know how it fits in with the rest. Like, it just says it gives you control of the storm, which the storm is probably a lot bigger than that small area the spell tells you it creates. Well, it, narratively, it makes a lot of sense, right? You're fighting in a storm... Maybe the DM's throwing lightning bolts at yeah. you anyway. The druid rises up, wreathed in green light, and is able to wield the storm. And it's super cool, and it's very cinematic. But practically speaking, can you steer the storm? Can you move that cloud around? Yeah, it just says control the storm. Control the which storm. Is, which is pretty... At the bare minimum, you can stop lightning from hitting you. I would think so, yeah. You th- can redirect the lightning to hit where you want it to. My my questions are, is the storm now bigger than the 60 foot? Right, yeah, yeah. That's my, yeah, that's my first question about it too, is does Are it you that? creating storms in some way, somehow? I think that there is a create weather spell There's somewhere There's a control weather there. spell. It's very high level. It's, I think it's eighth level. There you go. But are druids now going out and wrangling storms? If they can move the storm, are they going out and chasing storms down, wrangling them, and then pulling them with them to where they want it to go? That's almost terraforming. I mean, you would have only 10 minutes to move it where you wanted it to go, so you'd be limited. I don't don't really know how fast storms Storms can can move. Yeah, (laughs) talk to a hurricane, then then we'll figure it out. Yeah, that's true. Fair enough. And that goes back to what does control storm mean? Mm-hmm. Like, can you... Can you control like, hurricanes? Wind, well, because wind is part of a storm too, you know? Yeah. So like, can I increase the speed of the wind? Nothing about the spell suggests that, that's, Any what of they, this is that that's what they want you to do or that's yeah. what they're thinking you'll do. But it's just a situation where the language that they ended up using implies a lot of stuff that there's no... Written rule for Written it. rule to kind of back up or... or Right. I think that in their mind, this was a purely combat spell. Right. This was not a flavor spell. Right. I think that with the flavor spells, they have a lot more things Yeah. to tamp down things like that. Uh, charm person comes to mind where the person knows that they were charmed. Yeah. Right? That's a that's a, a insurance policy. Mm-hmm. But in this, <laughs> you just uh, storm chasing, storm wrangling, rockstar druid. Yeah, I mean, I guess you could even use this, like, if you're a 
mean-spirited druid and don't want people to have nice things, mm-hmm. you can cast it on every storm that comes by and just make it not rain. Withhold. Like, yeah, just like you could, you use the time you're, you've cast Call Lightning to just drag the storm system away from like crop fields and have it go off in some other random place. Hey, you jerks, you want water? You come to <laughs> right, me. Yeah, there you go. It's Control a racket. Control rodder. Yeah, I got this I guess spell it's, for it's more you. Of the, uh, it's more of that desert druid cult shenanigans again. I think druids are my favorite class. I think they're super cool. <laughs> and you get to turn into animals on top of all this? Yeah. Uh, I mean, certainly some of the spells we've talked about are selling me on it, but it's on a very kind of nefarious... Manipulative bent. Yeah. Hello, friends. Dane here saying thank you for listening and sharing our show. Telling other people about Dispel Magic is the best way for us to grow, along with you rating and reviewing our show on whatever podcast app you use. We've also revamped our Patreon. Benjamin is writing monthly spells. There's a behind-the-screen show where we talk about our home games, along with other little extras we'll be sprinkling in here or there. So, if you like the show, please tell a friend, rate and review, and check out our Patreon. Thanks again for listening, and happy spelling. But at the end of the day, there's, there's one main thing that you came up with for this spell called Lightning. That really changes the game. Yeah. Probably this is the one you've been waiting for us to talk about because it is the most obvious. And that is with the spell, you've got an endless source of clean electricity. Clean. Let's talk math. Oh, boy. <laughs> the average lightning bolt produces 0.14 megawatt hour. You can create 100 of these over the course of 10 minutes for 14 megawatt hours. You are wearing a tiny little green cap and you've got a big machine in front of you and you're just doing all the numbers like an old tiny bookie. Oh, yes. Bookie. Okay, right. Now I That's see. That's what's what, happening to like you Like a right visor. Now. You've got a visor right. on. Okay. Yeah. you got a little cigarette dangling from the corner of your mouth. Yeah, there's paper flying out of my little calculator thing. 14 megawatt hours per casting of the spell called lightning. Per day, New York City... New York City? (laughs) ...uses 11,000 megawatt hours. Okay, that's a lot. You'd have to cast Call Lightning something like 700... Well, not something like... You'd have to cast it 786 times per day to power New York City. That's a lot of druids. That's a lot of druids. (laughs) Probably powering New York City on this... Modern day New York City on this spell is not going to happen. But the good news is we're not trying to power New York City. We're trying to power something more like Waterdeep. Thank God. Yes. Waterdeep has a pop... So New York City has a population of over 8 million people. Waterdeep has a population of less than 200,000. So that's like what? One... I'm not the math guy here. You are the math guy. I can see the equations flying around his head now. It's staggering. One sixty-one of the people in New York City are in Waterdeep. Less than one sixtieth of the population of New York City is in Waterdeep. If we were to take that and assume that somehow Waterdeep still had the 
need that that um, same amount, amount of, of population. Yeah. So that same amount of need per person. They each have arcane computers. Yes, they have arcane computers. They've There's the industrial stuff happening. Yes. Mm-hmm. There's refrigerators, all those things. It's gonna take twelve castings a day. That's not to a lot. Power water. That's not so bad. That's not a lot. That's like six mid level druids can power a power grid for water deep. Right, because this is a second level spell. Or excuse me, a third. This it's is a third, third level, level so you're gonna, spell. So you're going to need at least a fifth level druid for this. Okay. But if you have anything higher than a fifth level druid, then it starts taking fewer and fewer druids to do it. Correct. You know? And if we're living in the wizard singularity world that we've discussed in previous episodes, then these level five druids are... Well, we need a druid singularity. We do need a druid singularity. Which, but I do think a rising tide lifts all boats. All magic boats. Magic tide. just going to have people going to become wizards, you're also going to have people, especially because there are a few kind of proprietary druid spells we've talked about that are so useful. Right. Plant growth primarily. Can I just say, I'm so excited to do the druid episode. Yeah. Oh, man. Um, ooh, that's going to be a, ooh, mm, it's going to be a good one. It almost makes me want to withhold it yeah, for a I know. few seasons, yeah. you know, your excitement. <laughs> You're too excited. You're too excited. You're too enthusiastic. I don't want you to blow it. I'm embarrassed for you. Anyway, there's a couple of things that when we think about power grids deserve special consideration. One is that it's going to take a while for people to learn how to manipulate lightning in a way that allows them pr- to produce electricity. You know, to Productive. Like, a productive use right, of electricity. Right. There, it's not ready-made that things use electricity. So, right. But like with, like with what we mentioned in Magnets... Because it's so controllable, those experiments should happen a lot earlier in the history of D&D world than it happened in our world. We can't just want electricity to be there and it's there. Whereas in D&D, there's a cantrip that lets you cat that lets you create electricity. So why not? Electricity is anywhere there's a spellcaster basically. So in this world, the uh, understanding of electricity should develop significantly faster than it did in ours. And I feel like magic itself is a lot more complicated than electricity because electricity follows a lot more hard and fast laws than I feel magic does. And it's so amorphous. But if you've got the brain capacity to decipher a spell book in an hour and copy it into your own secondhand jargon, then, you know, electricity... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I goes mean, from here, goes to there. Like, I don't know. People are smart enough to figure electricity out. People are smart enough to figure electricity out. Some wizard out in a thunderstorm, got a key on a kite, discovers bifocals. Well, honestly, because of the way the spell works and because so many of these lightning spells are combat related, they're already going to know about like metal conducting. Yeah. Like they don't need to do that key and kite thing. Go, because goes the into first, the water. First sure. time they shoot a lightning bolt at somebody in armor and they're like, oh, look at what that, look at that, look that at did. That. <laughs> um, their, their understanding of conductivity is going to, right, you know, and that lightning is electricity. Yeah. All it that goes, stuff. It goes, it explains itself. Yeah. Sure. So if we're talking about a, an electrical power grid, there's also the issue of how do you store that power? Because mm-hmm. otherwise it's, there for the 10 minutes that you're casting the spell and then it's going to dissipate pretty rapidly after that. But, and this is important if you like the idea of world building with these spells, but don't like the idea of 
having fully functional electrical grids in your fantasy setting, it doesn't necessarily follow that this spell allows will result in a world that uses electricity as as power source. Mm-hmm. They might use electricity to heat things to create steam. That makes sense. So I think there's almost no possibility that this spell doesn't get used to produce a power grid. But the power grid doesn't necessarily have to be electrical. It could be a steam-based power grid. And that just plunges you right into full-blown steampunk area. Right. Yeah. A setting rife with brass fittings and goggles right. and stovepipe hats. It all it all comes from from there. Yeah. Rivets. Benjamin Rivets. Okay, yeah. You can't you can't argue. As far with as it. the eye can see. Rivets forever. Yeah, so if if steampunk's your thing, and I can understand how it would be pretty jarring to have a full electrical system in a D&D campaign setting. Although I also think that's pretty fun to have something that anachronistic. 100%. Um, steampunk is a nice middle ground where you can easily see how call lightning is going to produce kind of steam power grid thing. Mm-hmm. But it doesn't get you all the way to that what might feel too anachronistic. Modern industry. <laughs> yes, bum, yeah, bum, exactly. Bum, yeah. So, you know, with this power grid, whether it's steam-based or electric, I think some of the kind of early level, early forms of technology that you'll see from this are things like public transportation, um, sort of pneumatic tube, like subway things, mm-hmm. if, the, if it's steam, uh, or just subways i guess if it's electricity and we didn't talk about this but i do think that things like the um, telegraph might come into being yeah because if you're exploring what wires do and you're you're finding out all of these rudimentary Mm -hmm. electric things you're going to notice that electricity makes a sound in that you can do something here that affects something far far away right and that generally means communication for for humans yeah so again, these I imagine, unless you're pretty late in a D&D campaign settings history, that these power grids are going to be primarily found in the cities themselves. Large cities. Yeah. It's yeah. not, not going to make a lot of sense for like druids to stand around, to wait around all day in your village to cast call lightning to produce the electricity necessary to do this. But in major cities, yeah. Another thing that might uh, be broadened is... Mining. Mining operations become much more elaborate. They become much more efficient. They need to be because they need to find so much more metal to feed this burgeoning industry. And I'd like to think that they employ the rust monsters that we talked about to help hunt for metal. I I like that idea. Yeah. Not necessarily copper. Copper is non-ferrous and often used in electrical engineering. But... You know, I, I think that that becomes a bigger part of your campaign. We've spent a lot of time this season talking about the ways in which magic uh, eliminates jobs or sectors of the economy or at least slims them down a lot. Mm-hmm. This spell actually does the opposite in that one, as you mentioned, there's a really powerful demand, strong demand for metal far beyond what would have been typical in medieval times or in these kind of fantasy medieval settings. Mm -hmm. But then there's also all this technology that needs to be created and iterated on and all that, that doesn't necessarily require magic. Magic. Yeah. You know, so that of course the actual creation of a lot of this stuff might then still go back to being magically produced, 
but somebody needs to figure out like right do the blueprints run the experiments figure out what works what doesn't and all of that can be happening kind of adjacent there's a lot of people doing non-magical things in the background to uh advance the these technologies right yeah there is of course the first person that creates that pneumatic tube subway thing but then there's all the improvements and iterations that will have to happen on that that wizards are probably too busy actually making infrastructure run to to do so it's almost like the wizards become the the workmen yeah Yeah, they're they're doing the magic labor while the researchers are thinking up all the other ways that these technologies can be implemented yeah that is a really funny i wonder if that would be the end of the well not the end but one period in this this whole cycle is first wizards are above everyone else and then there's another class that gets above them Mm -hmm. and the wizards just become this kind of laborer class that are just Especially if wizards don't need to have a high intellect to be able to cast their spells. This makes me think of in Greek times, uh, physicians were considered laborers. They were considered Mm. because they work with their hands. They're not working in ideas. Right. And they're working with the human body, which is inherently disgusting and dirty. So they were considered manual laborers. Blech. A, a that's lower... ancient Greek, not me. <laughs> that's, that's ancient, ancient Greece. Greece. Speaking through Benjamin. Yes. Um, but in a similar way, these if your job is to cast call lightning every all day, every day, and, and that's all you're doing, <laughs> that's a boring job and something everyone's going to be like, oh, I think anyone could kind of do that if they learn the spell. <laughs> I really like the idea of people diminishing spellcasters and being like, yeah, well, it's just a spell though, right? Just doing the one spell. I mean, I know 20 people who can cast that spell and you're the one doing it. So good for you. What do you want to transition away from that? <laughs> um, another thing I was thinking about is... Kind of, kind of based on this, if you were relying on wizards to generate electricity and there are animals in the world, monsters in the world that can mm. generate electricity on their own, I can imagine a society either trying to harness the power of these creatures um, as backup, as a substitute so that people yeah. aren't, aren't having to do this. Yeah. Now, there's not too many monsters that come to mind but I, I do have a list of uh, like Will of the Wisps. If you could capture some of those, I could these see. Are, these are monsters that produce lightning. That produce lightning. If, you, if you're able to capture like a whole bank of Will of the Wisps, that could yeah. be an interesting setting part uh, where they're just trying to get out of these jars. And yeah, I really like the idea of the them just being in glass tubes and you're just like prodding them constantly to zap. Lightning methods. If you got a whole lot of lightning methods, that could help. That could do something. Behirs can cast lightning damage. These are wild looking. They've got ram's horns. They look like long, almost salamanders. Yeah, yeah. With multiple, with multiple, multiple legs. So finding these and capturing and taming them, probably not the easiest thing to do, but also a source of energy. Yeah, and and the thing, as you're listing all these, it makes me think, if you are going with a steampunk version of a power grid over an electrical one, there's a ton of monsters that produce fire. That's like, true. Even just getting a moving a fire elemental into your city, having them sit under whatever like huge cauldron of water that you've got, mm-hmm. and just like 
bring them whatever they want so they're happy to just kind of chill out there. There is almost a setting like that Eberron, right? They are the city of industry. We have been urged by patrons before, uh, people on our on our Discord to read that book for yeah. once. Um, I do think I do think <laughs> um, Eberron would end up looking very similar to a lot of the implications we're talking about. Mm-hmm. It might arrive there through different concepts, but yes, Eberron is going to look a lot like the world that naturally comes out of all the con- the consequences of all these spells. Air Genasi. Where, where do Air Genasi come from? It's got to be Genasi. I say Genasi. Is this, how do you pronounce G-I-F? Gif? Yeah, Gif. Okay, good. That's jinns, right? Then in canonically, they're jinns or connected to the elemental plane of yes, air. Yes, uh, jinns come from the element or the elemental planes. I think genie is the category name, and jinn okay. is one element specifically. So, but air elementals, if you ha- harnessed air elementals, they might have lightning powers, depending on which one you have. Not vanilla, as written. But then, if you have an air elemental, then you're doing a wind farm anyway. So. Whatever. Yeah, so I think what this gets at, though, is that there's spells. Call Lightning is the best example of it, but Shocking Hands is right there at the start. And then there's all these monsters in the world that are varying degrees of intelligence. Probably, if you wanted to be as ethical as possible, you'd be getting low intelligence. The Mephits. Yeah, well... Even Mephits might be too smart for yeah. it to really be ethical, but like, <laughs> Fair you know, you're going to be looking for creatures that you can either collaborate with to produce these sorts of things or, or are more like bestial. And so if you speak with animals and you talk to the Kraken, the Kraken can cast lightning. The Kraken is not an animal. It's a monster. It's a monstrosity. It's a monstrosity. Yeah. Okay. It's a monstrosity. Fair enough. Um, but the point I was getting at. Is that all of this leads to a world where power grids are sort of inevitable and fairly and much earlier on than they would have been in our own world history. And really importantly, they don't cost any natural resources for the most part in clean, a d in d world. Um, yeah, and they're probably not producing much, if any, impact on the environment. Unless you're steering storm clouds away from well, where they're yes, naturally right, supposed yeah. to go. But yeah. that's neither here nor there. It's also limited only by the number of spellcasters, which for what we've been talking about means that it's functionally not limited. Limitless. Limitless clean energy. So as we're all steered towards the inevitable ecological collapse we're headed towards in our real world... We can rest easy and safe in the knowledge that D&D worlds are safe from a similar fate. Thank the gods for that. If this has inspired anything for your campaign, please go ahead and tweet us at DispelMagicPod on Twitter. Or email us at DispelMagicPodcast at gmail.com. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you again after your next long rest. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of Dispel Magic. If this has inspired any ideas for your game, or you have another take on today's topic, please let us know on Twitter, at DispelMagicPod. You can find Benjamin, at Sterling Vermin, and Dane, at Dane in Danger. 
Thank you to Slim Mittens for our cover art, produced by Benjamin Huffman, produced and edited by Dean Fox McGraw. Thank you.